Well, good morning. Good morning. And a wonderful first Sunday of Advent to you. It's great to be together. And uh, welcome back, those of you who were traveling at Thanksgiving last week. And uh, it's, it's good, to, good to be together in this place this morning. And uh, we got to have our first candle lit this morning. We'll, we'll watch over the weeks to come as the candlelight grows during this season. And uh, on Christmas Eve, we'll gather, um, many of us hopefully, to, to see the final white Christ candle lit as we celebrate the God who has come and who is among us. And so this is a season to, to, to open our hearts in fresh and new ways to God. It's a season that is set apart, as we said last week, it's the first Sunday of the new church year. The Christian calendar begins with the first Sunday in Advent. And so let me be the first to say to you, Happy New Year. And uh, so it's a great time not only to open our hearts, but to, but to sort of set ourselves in a, in a, in a fresh uh, mindset or a fresh track uh, of the year to come. And to think about how even in these days, God might begin to speak to us and to challenge us and to to work in us and to use us in some beautiful ways. So, um, you know, it's, it's different. I mean, look around. A lot of us were here last Sunday night hanging the greens. The greens are hung and the, the lights are on. And it's, you know, it's a little bit chilly outside even, you know, California, December. Um, so it's different, and, and it feels a little bit different. We sing different songs. You, you know, you're, you're, you, sung, you sang some songs this morning that you, you haven't sung since last December, and uh, it feels a little bit different. And, and in some ways, maybe it's, it's sort of a sense of, you know, it feels a little awkwardly different. And, and, in, and as I was even sitting there singing, I was thinking, you know, that's okay. It's all right to have some times that are set apart, and so... Um, we set this time apart so that we might, be, we might be struck, we might be caught in a different way and think uniquely about what God is doing uh, in our midst and in our lives and in our church. So uh, I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids for Children's Church uh, and trust that you all will have a wonderful time and wave at them or give them a high five and say, we'll see you later because we're going to have communion together in just a little while. So we'll see you back here in a, in a few. Um, but we're going we're to uh, have a series during this, this Advent season called Getting Ready for Company. And uh, this was just a slogan that my dad said a lot as we were growing up around our house. We've got to get ready for company. My dad was a pastor and we had people in our house all the time. And, and we sort of knew what that meant as the kids in the house. All right, get ready for company. Uh, interestingly, that, that slogan has carried over in other parts of my life. And I think about it here as a local church. And sometimes I'll share that slogan with our church board. I'll say, you know, as, as a church family, are we ready for company? Are we ready for people who might visit our church from Sunday to Sunday? Maybe some of you are a visitor today. We're really glad that you're here. We're ready for you. And, uh, and yet it struck me again this season as we think about the Advent season in particular about the God who comes and the God who 
desires to come in fresh ways to us in our lives today? And are we as a church community and are we as individual people ready for for the company that that Christ brings to us in these days? So as we work our way through some different passages within the lectionary readings in these weeks of Advent, I pray that each week we'll have a deepening sense of of a readiness a preparedness for Christ to come, not only the historical celebration of his birth as a baby, but our readiness for his coming in glory and our readiness for him to come to us even now. So today we're going to read from Psalms, Psalm 25, verses 1 to 10. And uh, this psalm actually as, um, as a whole appears to be two psalms that were interwoven And many scholars think that they were interwoven for a worship context, that these were two prayers, perhaps, that were originally written and were woven together into this psalm for a worship context, a communal uh, declaration that comes sort of at the the culmination of of an individual plea or an individual cry. And, And throughout Psalm 25, if you look at it, it kind of bounces back and forth through from what could be a, an individual cry and a communal declaration. And, and I want us just to read it like that, as perhaps it was originally read as the people of God gathered to read the Word of God. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. In our portion, it's just, uh, it goes back and forth just one time. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, which we might hear as this personal plea or personal lament. And then I want all of us to read, and you can just read from the screens so we're all in the same translation. Verses 8 through 10, as sort of that communal declaration of God's goodness and God's response to the plea of verses 1 through 7. I think it will all make sense as we get there. Some of you are looking at me like with confused stares, but I'll read 1 to 7. Let's all read 8 to 10, but let's stand together as we do it, can we? And then at the very end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Psalm 25, verses 1 to 10. O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love. For you are merciful, O Lord. And let's read together. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and unfaithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his commands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. 
Yeah, Wednesday afternoons still in the Kinsler household are pretty busy times. If you were to come around our house uh, on a Wednesday afternoon, sometime between the hours of about 4 and 6.50, you would see a, a buzz happening around our, our home. And that's because on Wednesday nights we host a growth group in our house. And uh, that is the time, if there ever is a time during the week for us, to get ready for company. Company is coming. People will be showing up. Some arrive earlier than others. Some arrive later than others. But they will be arriving on Wednesday night. And there are floors to be vacuumed. There are bathrooms to be cleaned. There are things to be put away. There are chairs to be set up. There are sweet things to be concocted and placed in the oven. There are candles to be lit. There is, there is a, a, a space to be prepared. And, and uh, you know, we often tell people, if you want to keep a clean house, other than hiring a house cleaner, one of the best ways to do that is to host a small group. It's good motivation, right? That's accountability. You got to clean your house at least once a week. You're going to have people over. And uh, we've been doing this for about 20 years so far. In fact, as I was thinking about this story, I was wondering how many people here this morning have ever been in a small group at our house? Raise your hand. Have you ever, have you ever been in a small group at our house? All right. Bunch of you. All right. Good. Uh, hopefully it was ready for you most of the time and uh, you found it to be a hospitable place as you arrived. Um, granted, uh, you know, most of the work that gets done, and it does take some work, like I mentioned, most of the work that gets done to ready our household is done by my lovely wife, Kyla, who is not here. She's in with the children this morning, so I can brag about her while she's not here and admit my deficiencies. Um, but she's, I, I'm usually good, you know, for an occasional floor vacuum and the setting up of the chairs. That, that's my main job. Our, our kids are pretty good at picking their stuff up, um, for the most part, clearing the piles that have ac- accumulated from Thursday to Wednesday afternoon. But it's, uh, it's Kyla that does most of the, of the, good, of the good cleanup. And, and it's funny because a lot of times when I show up to people's houses, I just assume that it's, you know, wow, this, this, it's always like this. And I don't know if people assume that about our house. It's not. It's not. Just show up on a Monday afternoon sometime. Just take a peek. You'll see very clearly. It takes some effort. It takes some intentionality. Left to our own devices, piles pile up. Things don't get put away. Floors get dirty. Bathrooms get dirty. Uh, Kitchens get dirty. And these kinds of things, just left to their own devices, kind of get messed up. It takes some purpose. It takes some intentionality. It takes some, some, some intentional thought and effort to create a hospitable space where people can hopefully feel at home. And this, my friends, is what we're invited to do spiritually during this season of Advent, to be intentional, to be proactive, to put some thought and some effort into creating hospitable spaces in our lives and in our community of faith where Jesus might come and be at home in us. Where Jesus might come and find space. 
you're anything like me, but this, this Advent is the, the, the counter to our culture. Because since October, things have been ramping up for the Christmas season. And especially after Thanksgiving, things just, you know, hit 100 miles an hour around us in our culture. And you're getting, you know, bombarded with emails telling you all the great deals that you can get. And you're being invited to occasions and parties and work things and neighborhood things. And you're going to performances at your kids' schools and you're going from this thing to that thing. And as we get busier and as we really have less and less space available, Advent calls us to make more space available. It invites us to be very, very intentional. This doesn't just happen. It, listen, it won't happen unless we carve it out, unless we make it happen, unless we are very, very intentional. Advent, uh, it's been said, celebrates a God who comes in history, the, the, the baby that was born in Bethlehem, God who came to take on flesh. In Advent, we celebrate a God who comes in mystery, this God who, who, who comes as a holy presence among us even today in a number of creative ways. In fact, I just invite you to have your eyes open to how God might come to you in fresh ways, perhaps through a person or an event or through a word of scripture or through a song, even during the season of Advent. And we celebrate how God will come in majesty as the king who will come again someday in glory to wipe away every tear and to set everything right. But Advent, you guys, is a Wednesday afternoon at the Kinsler House. It's a time to remember the ways in which Christ comes to us and to get ready for his company. I came across some scriptures this week that talk about the God who comes to us and some reflections on, on how others have thought about these scriptures. Listen to this first one. It's from John 14, 23. I think I have that passage perhaps there. John 14, 23. There it is. Jesus replied. He's talking to his disciples. And as he's getting ready to depart from them. He says, all who love me will do what I say. And my Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. Isn't that a beautiful reminder? Sister Frances Dominica said this, At every turn in our lives, there can be a meeting place with God. How our hearts should sing with joy and thanksgiving. We have only to want him now at this moment, at any moment of our lives. And he's there, wanting us, longing to welcome us, to forgive us all that has gone before that has separated us from him. God makes his home in you. These are not empty words from Jesus. These words are true. And in this one, maybe a little bit more familiar from Revelation 3.20. Let's read this together, can we? Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus talking to us. Oh, Hallisby writes this. He says, all he needs is access. 
He enters in of his own accord because he desires to come in. He just needs an open door. And he enters in wherever he is. He is not denied admittance. We tell people all the time. I I try to remind folks here uh, on a Sunday from time to time or or as regularly as I can think of to to feel at home at Coast Community. Man, I really do. I hope that when you walk into this place that you feel at home. And Advent is the time of the year when we express that uniquely to the God who longs for nothing more than to be at home in us. What would it be like for us just to be able to say not only with our words, but with our lives, God, feel at home here. God, make your, make your dwelling place right here in new and fresh ways. Jesus, the door is open. Access is available. All of who I am, all that I, that I have, it's open to you. Come in, share a meal with me. Let's Let's have fellowship together, Lord Jesus. You are welcome here. Well, Psalm 25 is a getting ready for company kind of prayer. I just believe that it's a kind of prayer that can help us to create welcoming space for God to come to us in fresh ways in this Advent season. In the original Hebrew language, if we were to read Psalm 25 in Hebrew, we would discover it to be what's known as an acrostic poem, which means that, that, that each line of this prayer began with the successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet, a very structured and sort of formal kind of prayer. And because of the structure, a lot of folks and scholars think that this is a model prayer, that perhaps like the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that, that David was praying this prayer, Psalm 25, as a, as a model of, of what prayer can look like for those who are, who are learning to pray. Many of his prayers were contextual. As we know, many of David's psalms were written in response to particular circumstances, situations that were going on all around him. But, but Psalm 25 seems to be more general, more encompassing of all of life. Here's a prayer that he prays not only as a personal plea, because it can't help but be that as we read it and as we look at it, but also as a demonstration of the ways in which God's people might bring themselves before the Lord, ways that we can bring ourselves before the Lord even in these days. This is the prayer, if you have it there in front of you in the Bibles, you can look at it. It's a prayer of one who has made a very conscious deliberate decision to offer all of his life to God. He has made a choice. He has settled the question, O Lord, I give my life to you. Could it be any plainer? Another translation says it like this, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And the Hebrew word for Soul there, nefesh, just means all of me, all of what I am, all that I have, all that I've been, all that I ever hope to be, I offer it to you. I give it to you, God. I lay it at your feet. I hold it. I lift it up to you. What a great thing for us to say this first Sunday of the Christian New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, people. And to say to the Lord, all that I have, 
all that I hope to be in this new year. I offer it to you. I desperately need you. The circumstances surround me, surrounding me do not look promising, according to this psalmist. My enemies, as he writes, appear to be rising up all around me in anticipation of my defeat. My loneliness, my sense of shame, my suffering are very real indeed. No denial of that. But I will not stop trusting in you, O Lord. I will not stop trusting for you to show up to come to my aid. I will not stop hoping in your power to deliver me from whatever the situation of our lives may be. I'm not, as we are so wont to do in the world in which we live, holding out for a better option. I'm not waiting for something better to come along, God. In you, I know that I have all that I could ever need. I'm offering myself completely to you. I'm all in. It continues in verse 6, if you look down in there. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. There is hope for the present, this psalm writer would declare, and for the future because of the ways that God has acted in the past. There's not hope because I'm an extraordinarily hopeful person. There's not hope because I'm optimistic. There's not hope because I have the power of positive thinking. There's hope because this God has been faithful in long ages past. This God has shown himself to be a God who shows up when his people are in need. This God has shown himself to be a God who is trustworthy worthy. So I will trust in you. I will wait on you. I will place my hope squarely on you. And as I recall the ways that God has acted in the past, that reality will continue to shape my identity as one who trusts in the Lord. My, my, my mind, as I read this, goes to a conversation I had with my friend Dan Manfredonia. Dan here today. Dan, just wave to everybody. I'm going to talk about you for a minute. Um, Dan, some of you know, has been battling a cancer diagnosis for about a year. And uh, I had a, such a powerful cup of coffee with him a couple months ago. Um, he, he shared with me about some not so encouraging news that he had gotten from, uh, they'd gotten from a doctor. And, and that sort of led to some other not-so-encouraging news that had been shared. One doctor not-so-encouraging, another doctor pretty encouraging. But, but, but what Dan said to me, he said, you know what, James, we've sort of decided that everything that we hear from the doctors, you know what that is? That's information. That's, in, that's, that's information. And then we are the ones that are left to, to deal with that information. And, and as a family, we come together. And, and we believe and we hold strong. And, and I pray and I trust God to work in my life in a certain way. And I keep on living and I keep on moving forward day by day because that's just information. But what I do with the information is what's most important. I just feel like that's exactly what this writer is saying to us. The circumstances all around me, the enemies rising up, those who are calling me a disgrace, that's information. 
What I do with that information is what's the most important. What I'm going to do with that information is this. I'm going to offer all my life to the Lord. Is it, is it, is it something like that? Is it a health concern? Is it a financial issue? Is it a family crisis? Whatever it is that is coming up all around us, is it a personal loneliness? Is it a, is it a personal disability or, or difficulty that we face today, our invitation is to receive that as information and to offer ourselves again in deep trust and confidence to the Lord. Can we make, like this psalm writer has done, a very conscious, deliberate decision? I just feel like so many of us float through life just things happening to us. They happen to us, and we just sort of react. We just react. We move from reaction to reaction. And how many actual conscious, deliberate decisions we make, I'm not so sure about. But can we stop on this first Sunday of Advent and say, you know what, amidst all the circumstances of my life, I am deliberately, consciously, in my mind, in my heart, declaring my confidence in Christ today and offering myself fully and completely to him. It's as we learn to do that that we open channels of our lives for God to come to us in new and fresh ways. When I say, God, here's my life, guess what that does? It just opens up the floodgates as we sang this morning for the resources of heaven to be poured out upon us. It opens up the the, the, the all-access pass area of our lives to God and to God alone. He's got, a, he, he's got a backstage pass when we open ourselves to him in that way. And Jesus, as we speak about it, Advent can come truly and make his home, not just in the parts of him that we have, that we have kind of made available before, but make his home truly in all of us. In the deepest and the darkest places, Jesus wants to come there as well. Did you know that? He wants to come there as well, to dwell in those places and to bring light and life to us in beautiful ways. So as we learn to trust him, that like the psalm writer, we're reminded of our need to learn of his ways. Show me the right path, he writes in verse 4. Point me to the road that I am to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. The ways of God are not just known to us. We, uh, we're not created with some prepackaged understanding of God. We, we didn't just get it. We, we, need to, we need to learn and grow in this. And so the psalm writer reminds us, teach me your ways. In our day, in our culture especially, we love things and products that are intuitive. I can't do it quite as well, but the younger people, especially around us, can pick up whatever gadget or technological device and within a few moments seem to know exactly what it does. If, in fact, if I can't get my phone to do something when I'm around my kids or if I'm at a, a basketball practice, I'll just say, I need some help. I need some help. And several teenagers will come to me and just usually do it for me. They won't even show me how. They just do it for me. Let's don't mess with the middleman. Let me just get, get on to this. But, but this is kind of the, the way that we have grown to, to live in terms of our expectations for our lives today. We think everything should be intuitive. We should just be able to pick it up. Apple has taught us this. Steve Jobs imprinted this on our, on our brains that anything we pick up should be intuitive. We should be able to figure it out within a few clicks or a few motions and 
And, and yes, now it all makes sense. And I think sometimes maybe that gets transferred over into our spiritual lives as well. Some of us have transferred this over into our, our, our personal lives when it comes to... Anybody ever, uh, you know, come to a Christmas Eve while there's still a, a bike or a toy or, a, in my case, a basketball hoop that was in a box with those few little words written on the outside of it, some assembly required. Has anybody ever come to about 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve with, with those words staring you in the face? And, and, and you just sort of anticipate, for one reason or another, you just have sort of expected, or I did anyway, that it would all just kind of make sense. I've played a lot of basketball. I should be able to put to get this hoop together with no problem, you know? And it uh, wasn't that. You open up that box, and there's all sorts of things that you had no idea were needed so that you could play basketball. And, and you stay up really, really late, and you're not sure your eyes have opened, been open the whole time, and you just sit there on Christmas morning, and you just hope that the toy that they're playing with or the bike that they're riding on or the hoop that they're shooting into doesn't fall apart in one shot because you forgot to put a particular bolt in place or tighten it or whatever. We just think that these things should come easy to us. We're, we're and we kind of think, that should happen maybe in our spiritual lives as well. I just, I just keep showing up. I keep putting a little bit of time in anyway. And it's just going to happen, right? The psalm writer makes it clear, that's not the case. That's not the case. Show me the right path. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth. There is some assembly required in our hearts and in our lives, friends. We've been rebellious, he reminds us. We've been sinful. We desperately need God's forgiveness. We need his patient instruction. We need his correction. We need to be open to his direction, open to something that he will show us, open to something new in our lives. Verse 9, he writes it, he leads the humble in doing right. We're invited to come humbly before the Lord this Advent season, allowing him to shape us and form us more and more for his perfect will. Can we say, all I am is yours, God. I offer all that I am. I lift my soul to you, O Lord. And I recognize as I do that I need you desperately to guide me and to shape me. When I, when I open myself to the Lord's direction like that, guess what he does? He, he, here's, a, here's a hint. He doesn't say, good, I was finally waiting for you to do that. Now let me get in there and fix this. It's not, it's not the posture that this God who comes takes toward us. When we say, teach me your way, show me the path, lead me in your truth, my heart is humble before you, the Lord comes. Advent reminds us the Lord comes in mystery in his holy presence and he says, let me shape you, let me, let me give you my Holy Spirit who can begin to point out the, the places of correction, can, can begin to point out the places where, where, where you need my help, can begin to point out the places where there is darkness, where you need light, can, can begin to love you in new ways and to 
to remind you of, 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 of my choice of you and my grace that is at work in you and, and to instill in you new patterns and practices that will be glorifying and pleasing to me. It's a God who hears that invitation, hears that desire, and responds with great joy and with great anticipation and with great love. For we're his children coming to him. When we trust, when we come before him in humility, it's as if we're vacuuming the floors. It's as if we're moving the chairs. When we, when we trust him with all that we have, when we, when we say, teach me, Lord, it's as if we're lighting the candles. It's as if we're putting the brownies in the oven. We're saying, Jesus, come. Come make your home. Come make your home in me. Today we come to the table of the Lord. It's, uh, it's communion Sunday, this first Sunday of the month, and it's our opportunity to... To, to receive the, the bread, to, to drink of the cup, and in so doing, to, to remember Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us, to remember the, the good gifts of God that he pours out to his people. And we celebrate an open table here at our church, which means that, that if you're one who is seeking after Jesus today, if you're one who, who knows Jesus personally today or would long to know him even in this moment, that you're welcome to eat and drink and receive of this meal today. But what an opportunity we have as we take the, the bread and as we take the cup to, 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 to hold them up before us and to simply say, yes, God, I'm mindful of the way that you gave all of yourself to me in your son, Jesus. I, I hold the representation of that right here in my hands. And in response to that amazing grace gift that you have given to me, I too desire to give all of who I am to you. I offer myself to you. And as we stare at the elements, the bread and the cup, and are reminded of all the ways that not only that Jesus came to, to save us, but the ways that he has come to shape us. That this bread and cup, by its very presence and by our ingestion of it, reminds us of the way that Jesus was broken and poured out, and, and how we too are invited to be broken and poured out. We're reminded, even as we hold the elements, to say, Jesus, now show me. Show me how I might be used for your glory and for the glory of God, just as you have been used for the glory of God in the world. In other words, friends, it's a wonderful opportunity as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup today to offer ourselves afresh and anew and to invite the Lord's searching, penetrating, and instructive presence to be at work in our hearts, to find a home in our hearts. Let's pray together, can't we? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and our servers as well, if you can come to the front here. Our kids will be joining us in just a few moments.
God, our hearts are open to you now. We've heard this. We've heard this prayer. We've been reminded of of a very personal and intimate plea of one who placed his full and complete trust in you amidst the the increasingly difficult circumstances of his life. We'd set I'm all in, not waiting for a better offer. I'm all yours. You have all of me, God. I've seen you work in the past. I've heard stories of your faithfulness. I don't need anything more. My life is in your hands. And and, and as he did so, he recognized that that if his life was to be in his hands, that he needed more of the Lord's teaching and instruction, that, that his life was to be different, his life was to be new and transformed. His life was to take on a new shape as one molded and formed by the potter's hands. So God, we come before you today with the same recognition in our own lives, difficult circumstances, perhaps arising all around us, enemies, physical or material, gloating, looking toward our demise. And yet we come today on this first Sunday of Advent, this first Sunday of the new year to proclaim that you're a God who comes. You're a God who arrives just in time. That just as you came as a baby born in a manger just in time, just as you'll come again just in time to set everything right, you come even now just in time to meet us with your presence, to shape us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to embolden us, that we might live lives pleasing and glorifying, honoring to you. God, we're reminded today as we come in this way that, that as you came as a baby, that baby would grow up to be a man who would suffer and die on our behalf and who would suffer and die, whose life would be poured out for the sins of the many, including ours. And we recognize that, that, that as we contemplate the the all-encompassing gift of your son Jesus to us, God, this amazing grace that has been ours, that that it's our invitation to respond to you by the offering of our own to you. And that as we have seen and witnessed his life poured out, it's our invitation to offer our own life to be poured out, to be shaped by you in beautiful and powerful ways. So God, as we come today, to this table, we pray that we would do so very consciously, very aware of this moment, God, very deliberate in our movement, very deliberate in our thinking, not taking anything for granted, very intentional in the ways that we are creating hospitable space in our own hearts and in our community of faith for you to find a home. Oh, Jesus, find your home in us today. And we're reminded, Jesus, that it was on the night that you 
were to be betrayed, that you met with your disciples and you took the bread and you broke it and you passed it to them and you said to them, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat. And each time you do, remember me. And we're reminded that in the same way, after supper, you took the cup and you passed it to them and you said, this is the symbol of my blood shed for your forgiveness. Take of it and drink. And every time you do, remember me. We're grateful, God, that you're a a gracious God who gives of these gracious gifts. And we receive of them this morning with grateful hearts. May we do so now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.